0: a series, is a three-part series that I'm entitling, The Disciple and His Money. The Disciple and His Money. Now, before you check out, I know whenever we talk about money, people know oh, no, I brought a guest and I going to talk about money. Yeah, I'm going to talk about money and I believe you're going to be empowered and inspired to serve Jesus better. Um, one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to listen to previous teachings that we've done on finance and on money. To help you because we're building on that. Last year we taught on it for about four weeks. And today, this this year I'm going to teach the next three weeks or so when I'm teaching. I'm going to teach um, on the issue of the disciple and his money. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 and also verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 and also verse 24. I read, he says, Do not lay up treasures for yourselves, or do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we're talking about the disciple and his money. This year as a church, we are pursuing discipleship. And so we're treating this through the lens of any man or woman who seeks To imitate the Lord Jesus and follow his teachings. Now, we have already learned about discipleship that the goal of every disciple is to be like their master. And because our goal is to be like our master, our attitude to money reveals who our true master is. Our attitude to money and how money governs our life reveals the devotion of our heart. Now, the Lord, in teaching this, he says, he gives us a clear admonition. And he says, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth. In other words, do not build your life around temporal or earthly um, considerations, But, he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So wherever you seek to invest that which is precious to you, that's where your heart is. Your treasure speaks of what is valuable to you, what is Precious to you, that which you see as a place of safety, as something of safety that you can rely on where you hit a brick wall of some kind. And he's encouraging us to make sure that our place of safety, that which we place value on, is not in temporal things, earthly things, but in that which is heavenly. And then he says something very interesting in verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be love he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon very strange phrase you cannot serve god and mammon why did the lord say you cannot serve god and satan why does he say mammon because satan mammon really represents The spirit behind how the system of this world operates is the spirit behind the financial system of this one. Even in our Lord's day, it was very powerful. And Satan uses mammon as the primary means by which he controls humanity. He uses mammon and the spirit of mammon as the primary means by which he controls or seeks to control us and defile us against God. And so, whoever our master is will either be God or mammon. There's no in between. God will either be the master of our heart and God will either be the teacher of our heart or mammon will be the master of our heart and the teacher of our heart. God's primary rival in your heart is not necessarily Satan. It's not necessarily Satan, it is mammon. In fact, Satanism teaches you, and uh, those of you that are aware of this, Satanism's highest commandment, just like the first commandment of the Christian faith is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first commandment of Satanism is to love yourself. It's to love yourself. You see, some of these Christians who say the highest form of the true highest form of love is to love yourself. It is not. The highest form of love is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the most important um, aspect of love. And it may sound really great, and other religions teach it about putting yourself first, but that is not the Christian faith. Because Satan, in controlling our hearts, Uses mammon because mammon is the worship of self. It's where you put yourself first and your considerations first in order to navigate this world. And what money and what wealth and resources represent is that which is an expression of where our heart is and who we really are. Now, another thing I want you to point out very early in this teaching is this. Contrary to popular belief amongst many Christians, Jesus' teaching on money is often negative. It's often negative. And the Bible's teaching, especially in the New Testament, on money is often negative. Now, if you listen to some preachers, you will think that I've just said the heresy. But we're going to see through the scriptures because we are pursuing discipleship. This teaching is not about uh, you give 10, you get 100 back. Now, there is a place for sowing and reaping. Don't misunderstand me, and we will touch on that. And we've taught on it in the past. But it's not about that. It's not about how you can be rich. And let me add this. This isn't in the notes, but I'm going to touch on this in this teaching. Do not desire to be rich if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Oh, boy, I've lost most of you now what is this? I thought you're going to help us to get get more money. No, I want to help you to be a disciple of Jesus. (laughs) So our Lord's teachings on money often were negative. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Man's life does not consist in what he possesses. So be careful of covetousness. What is covetousness? It is the desire of wealth that belongs to another. It's desiring what is not yours. It's desiring what is not yours. Just look at your neighbor and say, right now, he's talking to me and you. Tell him, come on. In the parable of the sower, in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, one of the ways in which the word becomes unfruitful is where the seed falls amongst thorns. And he says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, And the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, this is the teaching of the Lord. He says, the deceitfulness of riches is one of the things that comes into our lives and causes us to be unfruitful Christians. Unfruitful, 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 unfruitful hearers of the word. Like I said earlier on, do not desire to be rich. It is not a godly desire, contrary to popular belief. It is not. I'm going to give you scriptures. These are not in your notes, so pay attention closely. Do not desire to be rich. Live for God and his will for your life. Let money be a servant to his will through you and not an end in itself. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10. Write this down because this is not here. He says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Which drown men in destruction and perdition or damnation. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. In my little pilgrimage, I've seen this happen to several sincere believers. In their zeal and desire to be wealthy, they end up having many foolish and harmful desires. And end up messing up their faith. Where their faith is no longer about Jesus... And about living for God in the simplicity of the gospel. But it's about how they can accumulate wealth. How can they, be, they can be successful in this system. And how they can really do well. And they have this thing. Because they want to finance the gospel. Beloved, if you want to finance the gospel, finance with what you already have. You know, I want to be rich so that I can finance the gospel. But you don't even pay your tithe properly. Seriously. I want to be rich so that I can finance the gospel. But actually... Your life doesn't demonstrate that you will finance the gospel because you're very self-indulgent. You you paid your tithe and so you think you've done great. Beloved, tithing is not even a law for the New Testament believer. It's a basic guideline of how we should give. It's like the the bare minimum a New Testament believer should give is a tithe. It's not something we should think we've done something great because we tithe. The old saints' time, the Old Testament saints' time. Look at you all quiet now. You're not shouting me down just because I'm preaching really good. I mean, as for and I'll just touch on it. I'm not even going to dwell there. I'm not even going to dwell there. Look at what he says New Testament, Paul the Apostle. Those who desire to be rich, either the word of God is true or not, this just cancels out so many preachers and ministries. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts or desires, which drown men or end up causing men to be so choked in destruction and the damnation or perdition, damnation of their soul. Their disciple and his money. Look at First Timothy, the same chapter, six verses seventeen. Look at what he says to the rich folk. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or not to be proud. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Look at the comparison. Why? Because riches, Jesus our Lord refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. Why is it deceitful? Because it turns your heart to trust in it. It causes you to put your confidence in your riches. So, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. This is the rich folk he's talking to. Young Timothy, charge those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Some people think because they have money, they can control the pastors or the teachers. You know, in our church here, we've gone through a very challenging financial season. Never had it before. And when I asked the accountant what's going on, he said this, there are about 17 people in our ministry who have been so given, their giving is way above, but for different reasons, some lost their jobs, some traveled, some moved on, that it's affected their income drastically, 17. It's interesting. I wonder what percentage, because I don't check the books deliberately because of how I minister. I wonder what percentage of you, these are the people who normally honored God in their tithe, I wonder what percentage, if we was to do a survey, actually honor God with their tithe. Because it dawned on me that when a person is rich, they have a lot of power. And so Timothy said, Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich, not encourage, command those who are rich, not to be proud or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is not against his people having wealth. He's just against wealth having his people. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Wow. In other words, use your money in a way that helps your faith. That helps your standing before God. Proverbs 28, verse 22 says this. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. A man with an evil eye is pursuing to be wealthy. This is so contrary to what you hear these days, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, be happy you're in church. Come on. I don't know what you expected to hear, but I am talking about the disciple and his money. And then when I teach that, these people will say to me, it's so negative. It's so depressing. It's so, it's just like you're just beating us up. Listen, it's because we're used to hearing lies. About money. We're used to hearing things about money which is not rooted in New Testament revelation. It's rooted in avarice and greed and the desire to be uh, successful in the system of this world. (laughs) Okay. So what should govern how we give our finances? As a disciple, what should govern how we give? Number one, our giving of our finance is an issue of ownership. It's an issue of ownership. In other words, who owns us? Not even what we own. Who owns us? Whether it's God or mammon. It's an issue of ownership. The scripture we read in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Right now, beloved, you are serving somebody. You are serving somebody. You are either serving God, not by your words, but by your money. How you use your money. How I use my money. And don't think just because I'm a preacher, I'm exempt. Loads of us preachers are hooked to avarice and mammon. We're greedy for money. And so whenever we're teaching about money, the bottom line is, make sure you give to our coffers so that we can be very comfortable. Honestly, boy, man, this church is, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I know it's a sober word. And you're not going to be shouting about this. You're going to be like, flip, what? Is that a swear word? I beg your pardon. You're going to be like, flood. Wow. Secondly, our giving should be informed by our perceptions of the age to come. This is so lost in many churches, in many Christians' paradigm, the age to come. The age to come. That time when our Lord Jesus returns on the earth, sets up his kingdom, and then we reign with him for thousands, and then after that, after Satan is judged and everyone is judged, that time when we are in the eternal city forever, our giving should be informed by that, not by what we can get. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a place for that, but that is not the primary motivation behind our giving. The scripture that we read earlier on says, Lay up your treasures in heaven. That's what he says. And sometimes people caricature this statement. I'm not interested in, in the heaven. I want it now. Stupid. You have no idea what you're saying. People were willing to be burned for that. For what they're doing concerning heaven. The scripture is very clear about our faith. If only in this life we have hope. We are of all men most miserable. That's what he says. I I recently saw an article, didn't really read it, that said that atheists think that our faith is very stupid. Of course, they should, because they are atheists. Our faith is very stupid if you are just looking at this life. But most Christians don't understand their own faith. And so they try to look at their faith through the lens of what appears acceptable. To the sensibilities of men. But the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. So Luke 16, 9 says this. I say to you, this is about our giving should be informed by our perceptions of the age to come. And that was where our true treasure is. Is it on earth or is it in heaven? Luke 16, 9, I say to you, the Lord says, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or deceitful mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting dwellings or everlasting home, an everlasting home. What is he saying? He says, use money in such a way that when money no longer is relevant, what you did with it puts you in a good standing when it comes to your soul. That is what the Bible teaches. That's what our Lord was teaching. Now, if you read the whole narrative of Luke 16, you will discover after the Lord taught them about money, the Pharisees who loved money laughed at him. They derided him. They actually, read, it, read the rest. They derided him. They said, what nonsense. Listen to this fool. <laughs> and the Lord said, you are those who justify yourselves, but God knows your heart. What is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. In other words, when it comes to what men rate, God thinks it's disgusting. Hmm. Oh, hallelujah. The disciple and his money. Are you going to be here next week? <laughs> money has the potential when used Rightly. To buy you friends in the presence of God. Wow, what a, what a strange statement. In other words, when used in a way that God prescribes, it puts you in a very good standing. Now, I'm not going to touch on it too much because maybe for another time. Or you can do your own study. But that's what he's teaching here. Number three. Our giving should be an expression of worship. It should be an expression of worship. In other words, who has first priority in our hearts? Who has first priority in our hearts? God or self? God or mammon? Our giving. So every time we are seeking to give of our money, whether we are sowing a seed, whether we're believing God for a breakthrough or whatever, it should be rooted because we put God first. We put him first. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're doing it. It's because we're putting God first. Worship is putting God first. That's what worship is. It's in the small things and it's in the big things. All of us touch on it when we're praying. (coughs) Everything we do should be an expression that God is number one or worship. Number four, our giving should always be done in faith. In other words, who do we trust, God or ourselves? Our giving should always be done in faith because Hebrews 11:6 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. So when we are given, it should be because we trust God. It's because we trust God. And when we don't give, it's because we trust God. What a paradox. When we give, it's because we trust God. When we don't give, it's because we trust God. You know, that many times God doesn't want you to actually give. Believe you or not. I know we preachers tend to make it out like God always wants you to give. Give your money. But sometimes God says, don't give. Don't. I remember one lady once in our church, out of a desire to help our church, wrote a check. Of 10,000 pounds. And it wasn't a rubber check. In other words, it didn't bounce. Because she wanted to help us. When we saw that check, we knew her life. And so we called her and said, God has received your gift. But here's your check. Because she had remortgaged her house in order to give us that money. And we felt as her pastor to protect her. And we gave her back that money. Unheard of. Are you kidding? I remember telling to some pastors, they just looked at me like I was insane. You gave her what? We gave her back the money. As far as God is concerned, she gave the money. But we had a responsibility as a pastor to pastor her. Did we want the money? Of course we wanted the money. If you've got it, you can give it back. ahead a mortgage your house. No. That's not how we're supposed to give. I'm going to show you in the scripture. We don't give like that. We don't give like that. That's not a biblical way of giving, to go and remortgage your house or to take out a loan in order to give to the church. That is not what the scriptures teach, believe it or not. It should be done in faith. Romans 14:23 tells us, He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So if you give out of fear, you've sinned. If you give because everybody's giving and you feel obliged to, you've sinned. If you give to impress, you've definitely sinned. If you give because you don't want to make me feel bad, you've sinned. I will take your money, but you've sinned. (laughs) Well, I don't know your heart, so, you know, I I can only... Oh, Pastor Joe, here's, here's my gift. Oh, thank you. What a good Christian. But you've actually been sinning because you gave it because you didn't want me to feel bad. That's not how we're supposed to give. Are you still here? Yeah, I hope you are. And finally, our giving, help me with the time, should be an act of love. It should be an act of love. Love for God. Love for his people. Love for his house. It should be an act of love. Galatians 5, 6 says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. In other words, in, in Christ Jesus, the only thing that really matters is our faith that is motivated by love. Our faith motivated by love. And 1 John 4, 18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So, the issue that we, we are doing things out of the wrong motivation is not good. It's not right. Because we are to give out of a heart of love. It's because we love God. Now, you can have a reverence for God, which is a good fear. Godly fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is not what he's talking about. And because of your reverence for God, you give. That's different. But where you are giving because you're afraid of what people think, or people may say, or whatever, or because God is going to deal with you. And by the way, let me say this. When we dishonor God in our giving, it is not God who deals with us. I just want to be clear. God is not the one who deals with us. When we dishonor God, the hedge that is over us, we open the door for the enemy to bite. He that lets down, the hedge, he breaks the hedge, the serpent will bite. Whether you dishonor God with your, in your morals, in your giving, whether you dishonor God with your words, it's not God who attacks you because you insulted him. It's you, broke the, you allow the hedge to come down and the enemy is very happy to attack you. So it's not God who curses anybody. God doesn't curse you because you don't tithe. God doesn't curse you. But if there is a curse, and I'm not saying because a person doesn't tithe there will be a curse. If there is a curse, it wasn't from God. Often people are not able to join the dots. Many times people have come to me with issues. They'll come to me, especially when it's financial issues. And those of you, you know what I'm saying. And they'll say, you know, I'm looking for a job or this is something, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? And many times, the answer I get shocks me because it's not what I'm expecting. And often, it's because they dishonor God in how they give to God's house. And so, it's opened the door for the enemy to attack them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do not believe in people giving in order to be in debt. I don't believe that. But what I'm saying is that you have to learn how you honor God. So, quickly, why do we need to teach on finance? Because we are talking about the disciples' finance. Number one, because money has a way of exposing our hearts. Money has a way of exposing our hearts. Ecclesiastes 10.19 says this, A feast is made for laughter. in other words, people hold a party in order to be happy. Who holds a party in order to be miserable? We're going to have a party so that you all can be miserable. And wine makes merry. In other words, people drink alcohol in order to escape and be happy. But money answers everything. In other words, money exposes the heart of everyone. Money reveals where we really are. Hmm. So money has a way of exposing our heart. So we need to teach on finance so that we can understand and ensure that money does not own our hearts. Secondly, why do we need to teach on finance? Because our relationship and understanding of money affects how we serve God and prosper in this life. It does. Now, don't, again, when I say prosper, I didn't say rich. No, no, no. Godly prosperity has to do with your, you prospering as your soul prospers. 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, as far as God is concerned, your prosperity in this life must never overtake your spiritual prosperity. No, 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 never. God will never bless you so that your prosperity overtakes your spiritual development. That's why many Christians will never be rich, cannot be rich from God because money, that's my little champion, by the way, make it, making it very clear he's a champion. Your prosperity, your prosperity in this life, as far as God is concerned, must never own your heart. Never. It must never. And that's why many Christians cannot handle more than what they get for their needs. It's the truth. Don't shout me down because I'm really teaching well. Yeah. Hmm. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your bounds will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Remember I said this, we need teaching on finance so that we, our relationship and understanding of money can affect how we serve God and prosper in this life. The scripture says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. That word first fruits also speaks of the best part of everything you produce, the best part. He says, your bonds will be filled with plenty. What does your bonds represent? Your natural life, your resources, your natural resources, your wealth, your finances, your possessions. And your vats overflow with new wine. What does that speak of? Your spiritual resource. That is your anointing, your grace gifts, the way God uses you when it comes to spiritual things, the way you are able to appropriate spiritual things. How you honor God affects both. Why do we need teaching on finance? Because of the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are seasons in our life when the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about money. If you noticed in our church, when the credit crunch hit us around 2008, we didn't teach on finance. 2009, we didn't teach on finance. 2010, we didn't teach on finance. 2011, we didn't teach on finance because we didn't get any release. And we refused to teach as a reaction until last year that we began to teach again. Now, we used to teach it in the past. Because, and recently the Spirit of God spoke to me again, you need to come back to this and teach your people. Not in such words, but the meaning was that. So there are seasons where we, he impresses on us because he wants to help us in how we serve him so that money does not own us. Number four, why do we need to teach on finance? Because... We will be tempted to compromise when we face financial challenges. Everybody. We all. How many of you have compromised in this area before? I know I have. Look at these holy people. I've never compromised. I know I have. You say, how? In the little things. Not so much the big ones. As for things like tithing and those things, they're not a big deal for me. But sometimes it's in the little things. It's in the little things. But my little thing might be your big thing. Your big thing might be my little thing. If I just said the same thing. Okay, so Genesis 21, 26 verse 1 and 2. An example of this. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Girah. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which, of which I shall tell you. There was a famine. And so Isaac naturally thought, maybe I should go to Egypt. Egypt represents the world. And there's a truth there. That many times when we are facing financial challenges, we look to use worldly measures to respond to our challenge. But God doesn't want that for us. And so the challenge to compromise because of financial pressure It's a real one for every believer. Verse 12 says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. But remember, the Lord could only bless Isaac because he was obedient. He refused to compromise. But many of us compromise and still want God to bless us. It doesn't work. He will not. Because he cannot. He will not because he cannot, because he will never override his word. Now, the devil will. We'll later on when we, we look at this, we'll see how the devil prospers Christians. Did you hear me? How the devil, I said the devil, prospers Christians. Let me touch on it. When the devil wanted to prosper our master, what did he say to him? Look at the glory of that's in this world. Everything in it. Just bow down and worship me and I'll give it all to you. Just compromise on your values and I'll give you everything. How many Christians do that? They compromise on their values. They know what the word of God to them is, but they refuse to yield because they want to make it in life. Satan said to him, look, you want to make it? Come on. I know why you're here. All you have to do, no one says, just you and me. Just you and me. Just bow down and worship me. In other words, Put me first. Prioritize me in this context, and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. So, you find Christians are prospering because they don't fill in the truth when they're filling those forms. They will add a lie. Do you live at this address? You know you don't live there, but I live there. How much do you actually earn? You know how much you earn, and you add another zero. Because you want to buy that property. And after you buy, you say, the Lord has blessed me. The Lord didn't bless you. Satan did. Are you still here? Just keep looking at me because I'm preaching really good. People are always bowing the knee to the enemy. Compromising on their values. You know what the word teaches. You know what the word teaches. Now, you, you, you haven't bowed to an idol. You've just bowed in your heart. We'll stop here. Time is up. The last one would be this. We need to teach on finance because we need to understand our financial responsibility to the church as a disciple. Every one of you here who are members of this church have a responsibility to this church financially. You that are visiting, you have no such responsibility. You that are not members, you have no such responsibility, but you have a responsibility to God But if you're a member of this church or you see this church as your house, as far as God is concerned, you have a responsibility. And how you fulfill that is between you and God. But you do. Everybody does. And you have to fulfill it within the parameters that I've taught. Ephesians 4.16, and I close with this. Talking about the Lord from whom? The whole body. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part does its share. It includes finance. It is not right that 16 people are the ones who are able to hold the finances of the church because they are willing to be extravagant. That's not right. They've done their bit. I mean, we have amazing givers in this church. Some people, they the, the amount of money they give, it's like what? And say, so, yeah, 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 pastor, just. And then some of us, the Lord must command me to give this. But everybody has a responsibility. Amen.